Let's get down to business. Welcome to Profits and Purpose, a Colorado Business Roundtable production that unapologetically tells the story that business is good through conversations with Colorado's business leaders. Please welcome your host, the president of the Colorado Business Roundtable, Debbie Brown. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us on Colorado Business Roundtable's podcast, Profits and Purpose. And I'm excited today to welcome Karen Gerwitz to the show. She's been a longtime friend of Colorado Business Roundtable, and she serves as the president and CEO of World Trade Center Denver. And part of her bio, it's interesting, Karen, to read your bio, because I suspect most of our partners know about you. You've you've been in Denver a long time working on these types of issues for on behalf of Colorado and the international community. And your bio um, actually says you've got 30 years experience in international business that you bring to the organization as as the leader in both private, public, and nonprofit sectors. And I know from my work with you how enthusiastic you are about issues like trade, commerce, and the economic vitality of not just Colorado, but around the world. So welcome to the conversation today. Thank you, Debbie. It's so nice to be here. We love partnering with Business Roundtable and appreciate all of your support throughout the years. Absolutely. Well, before we jump in to some of your current work and what issues you're working on, tell us a little bit more about your journey. I always think it's so interesting, and I know just a little bit about your past, but how did you end up becoming the leader of World Trade Center Denver? You know, I had this passion of international business that really was sparked in college. Um, I was part of this international student exchange program called ISEC. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's A-I-E-S-E-C, the French acronym that stands for the International Association of Students in Economics and Business. Wow. And did and you grow up in Colorado? I did. Okay. I was born in St. Louis, but moved to Boulder when I was about nine. So I feel like Colorado is my home. So this ISEC student exchange program basically created work exchange opportunities for college students. And um, we, I was very active in the organization throughout college, reaching out to companies here throughout Colorado to hire international students uh, as a short-term kind of one and a half year or less uh, traineeship. And in exchange, we were able to send Colorado students all over the world in about 100 countries. And so I had the opportunity right after college to move to Ghana, West Africa, which was a huge, I mean, it was a lifelong dream of mine to live and work in Africa. And my first job out of college was running a sawmill, a 900 person sawmill. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. No, great. very few people do. Um, but it was by far the best two years of my life. Uh, I really experienced um, a world of difference and uh, the Ghanaian people couldn't be more welcoming and friendly. So uh, it was, it was a great experience right out of college for sure. And I'd highly recommend it to both companies who are looking for international work in international employees um, to be part of their community or else uh, college students that are looking for what to do next. So, yeah, I love that. I didn't really start traveling internationally and I've really only been one or two places. So, you know, it's kind of a bucket list of mine and it's fun that you had that experience. I was just speaking with my mom about, she was part of a program called IFI, which mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember what it stands for, but she had the opportunity to go to Europe as a college student from rural Kansas yeah. where she laughed. She had barely been to Kansas City, Kansas, let alone <laughs> yeah. Switzerland. So it was just such a big life-changing moment for her. It is life-changing, and it opens your mind to think of things differently and appreciate different um, diversity of thought. 
not just diversity of uh, ethnicity or, or racial background, but diversity of thought. I really welcome the way different cultures attack different problems. And it's it's fascinating to me. Yeah. And, and probably the whole phrase of the world is getting small, the world is such a small place, really comes to light in the work that you do. So how did you end up, what was your journey after that first initial job in Ghana? How did you end up at the World Trade Center, Denver? Yeah, so I was head of administration and operations for this 900-person sawmill, and then came back to Colorado and wanted to find an international job in 1992. It was difficult to find in Colorado, but I did find one at the Office of Economic Development and International Trade, part of the governor's office. It was Governor Romer at the time. And I became the chief of protocol for that state, which means that I, I hosted all the international dignitaries and delegations that came into the state on the official basis um, to work on some incredible projects like the Emperor and Empress of Japan and the G8 when it came to Denver and uh, this Western Hemisphere Trade Ministerial, um, probably hosted over 500 delegations, business, government and otherwise to our state. Uh, back then, where it was pre-internet and pre um, being pre cell phone, pre yeah. everything, um, <laughs> pre five G, we actually yeah. hosted a number of official delegations. I can remember two a week uh, coming in, and it was phen- it was just a a great way to showcase our state and and again, this was in the early '90s. So I feel like I've been um, connecting Colorado to the world since then, and um, so this. This role here at the World Trade Center, I've been here for the past 10 years, and it feels like a, it doesn't always feel like a job. It feels like a cause, and that cause is something I truly believe in, and that's where my passion comes from. Yeah, it absolutely does. Well, tell us what is the overriding mission, then, of, of the organization? Yeah, the World Trade Center really exists to assist um, companies in our Rocky Mountain region to succeed on the global stage. So whether that's importing, exporting, setting up global operations or investing in global opportunities, we're looking to help uh, those companies thrive. So uh, we do this mainly through the following ways. Education is our mainstay. We've been educating probably 35,000 people over the last 30 plus years. That's really what we, we focus on. But we also are a trade consulting uh, now. So we're actually helping companies solve supply chain issues and uh, come up with strategies and uh, execution steps to to succeed in new markets. Um, we also have helped with compliance and other regulatory hurdles that are facing companies every day. So we also are running a accelerator that um, can help companies go global within about four to six months. So um, that's been really exciting to, to launch as well. Wow, I really like that. It feels like Denver is coming into its own as far as being a place that's seen as a little bit of an international hub to some degree. I mean, with DIA traffic and all the other businesses, I think, that are thriving here. Are you seeing that as well? Like we're really kind of coming into um, becoming more and more international? Absolutely. I think um, we are positioned to claim uh, a space on the global on the global stage. Um especially having such a strong economic engine as our airport. And we have a lot of available land around that airport that I'd like to see become more of a commerce hub with distribution centers, foreign trade zones, and other types of uh, global business support, especially something that the infrastructure that will attract more manufacturers to our state. So I do think that Colorado is claiming 
that global business commerce hub, if you will. Uh, we have a little way to go, um, but I do see trends going up ever since I've been working in this. I do I do think there's lots of great opportunity for us. Well, and, and one of the things that people read about in the news more, of course, it used to be NAFTA, and now it's the USMCA, which stands for the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement. I've heard it called the new NAFTA, NAFTA 2.0. Um, tell us a little bit about what's the difference between the USMCA and NAFTA. And I know that my predecessor, Jeff Wasden, was doing quite a bit of work with you and some other partners on getting the USMCA implemented. Um, but would love to hear your thoughts, Karen, on kind of the differences and what, what would people need to know looking forward with the USMCA? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's, I would say it's more of the NAFTA 10.0. NAFTA changes um, every few years. And despite the fact of of how it was positioned of being this terrible agreement. It actually isn't. It's a fabulous agreement and it's one of the strongest free trade agreements in the world. So uh, it's something that we are grateful that USMCA continued this block as a block and didn't, didn't cause harm uh, to trade across the region because we are so integrated as a supply chain that we make things together. Even your hamburger on your plate uh, crosses borders maybe eight or nine times before it comes to your plate. But but even more technical issues, we are building things together, building automobiles together, building other electronics together. And so um, we rely heavily on this trading block, uh, not only from the state of Colorado, but uh, the U.S. Is, is very reliant on, on this block. We get nearly 50% of our oil and gas from Canada, for instance, and that's um, a huge um, influx uh, to our economy. So USMCA has made some uh, improvements, uh, including intellectual property, uh, making uh, things a little bit more clear and giving you more, giving Americans more protections on trademarks and copyrights, et cetera. I think our dairy industry has also seen some wins. They wouldn't say it as a, as a hundred percent win, but they have made improvements in, in entering into Canada. And then uh, the automobile industry is probably one of the biggest changes between NAFTA and USMCA, requiring more content or part of the vehicle to be produced here in the in the in the NAFTA region, as well as uh, requiring a sixteen dollar an hour labor fee. So it's impacting mostly the Mexican uh, producers. Um, we're going to receive those fees anyway in our, those hourly wages in, in the U.S., but um, certainly in Mexico is going to impact there. There have been some improvements, but I think one of the most obvious changes between NAFTA and the USMCA is the name. You know, we all used to call it NAFTA, and it was a universal win for all countries. Now the Canadians call it Kuzma. The Mexicans call it Asilo. <laughs> we call it USMCA. It's very nationalistic. I actually think we ought to look at it as we are one trading block, and that trading block is so important for, for not only our economies and trade, but it's also important for our security. And um, even NORAD and Colorado Springs, we uh, manage that together with the Canadian uh, leader. So it's something that we need to really um, make sure we're not only looking at it from our point of view, but from the region, because it's really important. Yeah, well said. It's interesting. You talked about some of the improvements for the USMCA. Are there any things that, in your opinion, have been detriments with the new agreement? I do think the automobile industry might show some uh, some challenges um, because of the new 
increase in in how much of the automobile has to be produced in in the North American region. It depends on who you ask, whether that's a detriment or an uh, asset. So um, <laughs> political, as you can imagine. Absolutely. Uh, but to be honest, it's uh, I think what it will do is strengthen our trading block overall. And that's most important right now because we want to show that we are a force to be reckoned with, especially with countries like China uh, that are competitors of ours, I would say. The more we can align to free trade agreements that strengthen our potential, that actually bodes well for us uh, against China. I also think we should find ways to trade with China, finding ways to um, even come up with agreements that, that enhance trade between China and the U.S. could be um, a good future step just to um, strengthen our, our trading uh, partners. Obviously, I'm a fan of free trade and lack of tariffs and non-tariff barriers. So I do think that creating more proactive ways to trade freely with markets uh, will bode way more for us than uh, putting up tariffs and other barriers to try to strengthen our economy. And do you feel like, Karen, in this in the current political climate, being a free trader um, being open to trade, anti-tariff, has that become a little bit counterculture because of what's going on at the federal level? Or do you sense that that's still the, the, the right position and lots of people are still kind of fighting for free tr- more free more free trade policies? I think the free trade policies is always going to uh, be favorable to business. Tariffs are making things really complicated for our businesses and unpredictable. And the most important thing for business globally is to be able to predict long-term because the trade is a long-term game, not a short-term win. I think we all know that. So um, to be able to um, plan for uh, fluctuations in pricing and um, supply chain issues is critical for your success in global business. So I don't think any business that I've ever talked to is actually for tariffs even if it might be impacting them positively in the short term. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if given the choice, we would not have them. Um, I, I know that you just received a, a study, I believe Megan might have sent it to you from the Business Roundtable nationally that actually um, found 40 million American jobs. This probably comes as no surprise to you since this is your 27, 24-7 job. But 40 million American jobs depended on international trade in 2018 representing one out of every five jobs in the United States. This is pre-pandemic. Um, how have you seen COVID um, affect trade in the U.S. and globally? And, and do you think people really have a sense of how important trade is uh, to Colorado and to the country? And then kind of, and I'm kind of, I guess, throwing a bunch of questions in there, but um, how, does that number surprise you? And then how has that been affected by COVID looking forward? The number doesn't surprise me at all. Trade is is hugely impactful to our economy and to our well-being. I just think of, of me as a consumer. I want choice at a price I can afford. And trade allows for that. If, you know, trade is, is so beneficial for jobs, of course, but it's also uh, good for this comparative advantage to be able to specialize in what we specialize in and acquire different products at a, at a more, you know, affordable rate. Most of our imports in the U.S. are uh, inputs into other products that we then export, and so it's um, uh, we're so integrated as a as an economy uh, to other countries. Globalization is here to stay. COVID has impacted though uh, trade in a significant way. Um, just think about the airlines that have closed or have taken a pause uh, due to COVID, and you know 
cargo was flying on those planes. And then uh, business development executives were traveling around to different trade shows, and those aren't happening anymore, uh, except for virtually. So certainly, um, trade has been impacted not only from uh, finding new business opportunities and targets, but also our supply chain. We've noticed that in in grocery stores and other places where supply chains have been hindered long before you know the beginning of the year it was uh anyway it's been it's been um a, a problem ever since uh, the the pandemic started in china so because you had plants that were closing for a number of months and those were inputs into other products that we were producing so yeah covid is uh definitely hampered trade but i do see things turning around especially in the digital economy and the digital world. Here we are, you know, working on Zoom and haven't missed a beat. And so uh, the technology has entered uh, and will continue to thrive throughout this pandemic. And I think it will be here to stay. I also see that services um, are getting very creative and innovative in, in how we provide services. And to be honest, I've connected throughout our global World Trade Center network more than ever during COVID because we can and it's easy to do so. Uh, over technology. So I do think there's some upsides. Got a lot of people pivoting into new PPE and other medical devices. And, um, and I think, I think we're, you know, the economy is nimble. Uh, we will bounce back. From this, yeah, but it's going to take a while. Well, and I appreciate your optimism. I, I sort of come down on the fact that we've got challenges to deal with for sure. And obviously a global pandemic, people have passed away from COVID and that's not to be taken lightly and the economic um, devastation too has been really horrific and some people have been impacted more than others. But um, I think we can look at disruption as an interesting opportunity for how do we take advantage of that next business upturn. And and like you said, technology is rising to the challenge. Innovator, innovators are rising to the challenge and what you've even done um, to some degree with some of the new programming that you've put in place is kind of rising to that challenge. So, you know, we're all figuring it out. out. (laughs) I know. I want to hear a little bit about, um, I heard, I heard about your global trade activator program that you have World Trade Center. Tell me about that. That's our accelerator. And, you know, for the last two years, we've been helping immigrant and refugee owned businesses uh, go through this program. Mm -hmm starting uh, most likely their first ever business, but in, in, in most cases, um, certainly the first ever global business. And since immigrants and refugees are so globally minded, well connected, um, and they're looking to help their home countries and connect Colorado to their home countries, uh, it's easy and rewarding to support um, these clients. We've got about 50 in the, in the program right now. And uh, we're looking for mentors and coaches who could support this program but um but we've we've helped some phenomenal businesses get started and um i'll give you an example there's one gentleman from cameroon who's imported cocoa now he's making like five different flavored chocolates and he's selling in 50 retail establishments all throughout colorado wow and then others um you know just everything from jewelry from afghanistan to bread fruit chips from jamaica we're we're um, helping these businesses start uh, start a, um, a brand new global trading business, and it's creating paths forward for building wealth here in uh, in Colorado for these businesses. Perfect. I can't wait to hear more about that. And um, I know our time has been short getting together, Karen, but tell us how our Cobert partners can get more involved. What What's your website? Uh, you know, besides mentoring and maybe some other partnerships, 
with World Trade Center Denver, how else can they get involved? Of course. So we're looking to scale our Global Trade Activator uh, to all small businesses throughout the state um, for those that want to become global, um, especially during uh, COVID. People are looking for new ways to find new sales and um, shore up their supply chain internationally. So we can help you do that. Uh, move from a domestic only company to a global one in about four months. Uh, and we're going to help you through strategy and um, execution. So covert members could uh, certainly uh, take part in this program if you're looking to go global or join our membership or ecosystem. We'd love to have you part of it if you're already global. And if you're looking to give back to this community of helping other businesses um, become global, we'd love to incorporate you as one of our coaches. So um, also, Debbie, I think we should be partnering on advocacy efforts because uh, trade impacts all of our businesses, yours and ours. And we'd like to see what we could do to make sure that the policies being made in Washington actually impact uh, positively our companies here in Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. Um, count on us as a partner and ally, Karen. We've we've had a really great time working with you and your team this past year. And I think we can come up with some ways to amplify the good work that you're doing and would love to partner more. Um, definitely trade is an important issue for, for our partners as well. So I appreciate working with you all the time and we'll be sure to put your contact information on the podcast so people can figure out how to get plugged in and get involved with your ecosystem as well. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Debbie. Okay. Thanks, Karen. Bye-bye. And thanks everyone for joining us today. Uh, we're excited to bring leaders like Karen to you on our Profits and Purpose podcast. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Colorado Business Roundtable. Be sure to check out all of our episodes on Podcatchers Everywhere at cobrt.com. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deaf Communications. Thank you for listening to Profits and Purpose.